Ben, so you know what's hilarious to me? What's hilarious to you? Well, I hear stuff about you. Oh, oh my. <laughs> I People talk to me about you. Oh. Which is funny because I'm your friend and your business partner, podcast, whatever, cohort, right? They, you know, a lot of people think you're really serious. You're like, hey, you know, ben, Ben's just so serious. <laughs> and <laughs> And I'm I'm over here. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> he he's what? Because Ben, you could get me laughing. So I can't tell you how many podcast episodes have been recorded like 30 minutes later than the scheduled time. Because <laughs> you've got me rolling about. I mean, gosh Almighty! It's like you just can't. You just can't. <laughs> so what's funny is people's perceptions of you. And then, like, you know, we've been in the trenches. We met in Afghanistan. We've seen all kinds of flavor of each other. Their perceptions of you are so different from how I experience you. Mm. And today, we're going to kind of talk about that. What are we going to talk about, Ben? Well, so we're not just going to talk about me, but we are. Maybe we'll talk a little bit about me. But <laughs> Today's episode's Ben Barron, A Life in 40 Episodes. <laughs> but we're going to talk about this idea of being real and the idea of how real perhaps you should be at work and how real you should perhaps be beyond work, what that even means. And we're going to talk about kind of these benefits, the potential pitfalls of this idea of authenticity and how authenticity plays out in groups and in organizations. And of course, we will bring this plane in for a landing at some point by talking about some implications of what all this means for us, for leaders, and for organizations. I think it's a really fascinating topic, and uh, perhaps we will be able to uh, scratch the surface on some really interesting items here. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Prepping this episode with you is kind of raw and vulnerable, as it seemed, at least the way I experienced our prep was, we really went inside of ourselves, like next to each other, right? You know, you're going inside, I'm going inside and thinking about what does that mean to be authentic? How do I think about authenticity myself? Mm, right. And so let's talk about this idea of authenticity and kind of what it means. Um, and first of all, I... My default when someone says, well, what does this mean? You know, I have my own ideas and kind of my own gut reactions. But then I'm also like, well, I, I, I'm curious to know what the scholarly literature says about these types of things. And, uh, you know, especially as it pertains to organizational science and industrial and organizational psychology and other related social sciences that I am relatively familiar with. And it, authenticity is a is a tricky one because it has to do with these ideas of who we are, our sense of self. And there aren't that many great definitions of it. It's one of these things that uh, has multiple definitions. People will oftentimes define it in a very specific way in order to be able to measure it and study it in science. Uh, there's a whole literature, for example, on authentic leadership. And uh, you know, at, at face value, it's problematic to a lot of people because they think, well, what if, oh, that means I just should be myself. What if being yourself is not what's required in that situation? Or uh, what if you're authentically just kind of a jerk and perhaps you shouldn't be doing that? I, and I think that that's probably a bit of a straw man of the authentic leadership stuff that, it, you know, there's more to it than that. But but I, it, I, I suppose for me, it's it's really about this realm of the self and, you know, who you are as a person. Um which which is tricky too because that that in and of itself is a lifelong journey in a way for every single one of us and i think these are items that perhaps some people don't think about nearly as much as about as as you as, and i do perhaps i don't know 
what would you say, Ben? What the, is the opposite of authenticity fake? Uh, perhaps, yeah. You know, if this was an SAT question, what's the most opposite of authenticity in your mind? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I would. I think fake comes to mind, being disingenuous. Um, I think someone who is uh, saying one thing and doing another, um, perhaps, you know, a lack of integrity kind of plays into this whole idea. Um, None of them are good words. No. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Generally not. Generally not. So if you say today we're going to be speaking on authentic leadership, it's hard to get somebody to throw tomatoes at you after announcing that because who doesn't want to be authentic? And we want to get in the weeds a little bit. We're not going to get so down into the weeds. There's a whole bunch of literature here. Some of the things that I think about, well, you know, my brain just goes crazy. Hey, are uh, nudists at a nudist colony authentic? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not a whole lot they can hide, but their behavior can still... <laughs> their behavior can still be a sham, <laughs> sure. right? But some people... I know that when I deal with um, young people entering the workforce, they don't feel authentic in a suit and tie. Sure. Uh, Right? There's some layers there that's like outside how you present yourself in both like appearance and action. And then there's this also a couple things I want to bring up here, which is like the idea of do you even know yourself? You know, when I was a younger person, I was just trying to do the right thing. I was running a bunch of other scripts that people had fed me. A lot of those scripts were really, really good and helped keep me on the straight and narrow and getting through college. But then as an adult, you kind of reflect on, wait a minute, what are we doing? Mm -hmm. And who you are today, if you're doing it right, I think, in my view, should not necessarily be who you are tomorrow necessarily in every facet. Well, I think that's part of what the challenge is of this this idea of authenticity and how real you should be because it's a moving target in a way. If you're actually trying to be true to thyself in some way, shape, or form, and I one issue that I have with how some people talk about this is sometimes they they refer to any instance in which they are having to be inauthentic is just it's just a situation in which they don't that they don't like. Right. Or there's something where they don't feel comfortable. It's like, well, I don't that's not my authentic thing. So, you know, being authentic in this situation means not wearing a suit and tie. Well, guess what? In this industry, we wear suit and ties. And if you don't, you will be not taken seriously. Right. And in that situation where, yeah, if inauthentic in that situation is wearing a suit and tie for a career move, you probably should just get over it and wear the suit and tie. Wear the uniform that you need to wear in order to perform well. Right. Yeah. Or or go a place where it's an industry where it's casual right yeah or yeah exactly or if it's a real big problem for you then you know move on to something else where it's more uh you know in line with how you want to be um so uh, the other issue that i have sometimes with how the idea of authenticity is portrayed is that it's equated and i don't think this is what people who really are genuine proponents of authenticity i don't think this is what they're saying however it sometimes is interpreted as if i'm being authentic that means i'm automatically going to say or do whatever i think or feel and that that's that can be really problematic (laughs) you better have a lot of money one if you if you do have a lot of money i mean you're gonna have a lot of fun but you may not have a lot of friends at the end of that quest but do do a YouTube series about it and send it to us. We'll, we'll watch it. But back to that idea of the realm of the self. If, if you are on an island all by yourself, like, um, what was the guy with Wilson, the tennis ball? You know, Jack. Oh, Tom, you mean Jack, the, that was the Tom Hanks movie, right? Yeah, but it was based on an older. Anyway, if you're cast away on an island, I mean, there's a whole meta thing you could do. Am I really myself if I'm all alone? Let's peel that back to the level of mere mortals here. You know, what does it mean to develop yourself as an individual, right? So a lot of people, because you know you can't just walk pantsless into a grocery store, right? 
You know, you can't just go around telling people whatever you think just because you got annoyed when they cut you off in traffic or maybe snubbed you in a meeting with your boss, right? You can't lose your crackers there. But there is something valuable to be said if you have a small group of trusted individuals that can really look deep inside you and sharpen you. Because most people I know, yeah, I'd say most people, I say, like, do you have somebody in your life that really, really knows and coaching clients that really, really knows your inner person. And a lot of them are like, no. Mm. And, and I, you could do that, but it comes with a risk that you might have some stinking thinking deep, deep down. And some people only discover this in therapy, right? The therapists are like, wait, I, I get why you have adapted that behavior to survive maybe an abusive family or something. But is that behavior helping you out? anymore well, and i would also suggest that having a group of friends having a group of people who uh you know either really know you well or i think so that requires some self-disclosure for you to really know for them to really know you i think you could also <laughs> perhaps a part of your developmental journey is also just by being around people who are amazing examples and role models of certain ways to of being because if you look at how other people live their lives and you reflect on that and you compare and contrast it with how you think about things and how you're living your life that in and of itself can be a developmental journey too um that maybe doesn't require the level of self-disclosure that would re be required for them to actually know a whole lot about you and your inner workings but but that's the piece, Ben, that I want to peel apart here is it seems to me that like if we're talking existential authenticity or authenticity extreme, <laughs> right, requires disclosure, mm -hmm. right? Like, are you really authentic if there's not somebody or a couple people in your life that know almost gosh darn everything? Well, if there were if that if that were the case, if that were the criterion that in order to be authentic, somebody has to know everything about you, then what you're saying is that, you know, Tom Hanks with his uh, volleyball on the deserted island couldn't be authentic. Right. Well, or does, you know, if a tree falls in the woods, that's the kind of thing. Does authenticity. Yeah, I, so I, I don't I don't think it does require disclosure necessarily to be authentic. I don't know. I haven't. I haven't. All right, so it's a fascinating, it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. I, I mean, that, because I think that conflates the idea of authenticity and intimacy, perhaps a little bit, or friendship or those types of, of things. Um, I think what fundamentally, when I think of authentic, authentic behavior and authenticity, I think a big part of it at its deepest level is truly being in, in tune with how what you're doing and why knowing understanding and being honest with yourself about your motivations which can be that can be really hard and it, i think oftentimes it, it's better and it's oftentimes pointed out to you by others maybe in that trusted type of situation uh but um yeah it's, it's an interesting question of whether or not you can uh you know be truly authentic completely on your own but I mean, I think, you know, uh, it's a good point that uh, other people can certainly sharpen you, that iron can sharpen iron and does when you're around other people. Um, and I think going through life with people who with whom you can share and um, disclose and look to for guidance and advice and other types of perspectives, that's a great thing. Yeah, like I think it's somebody, what if what if you were a notorious bank robber in, I don't know, New Zealand, but you start your life back here in the U.S. and you start orphanages, you work with nonprofits, you become very successful, you're a pillar in your community. Is it inauthentic to not disclose what a lot of people would want to be disclosed that you used to be a notorious bank robber? These are hard things. And the only piece I would say to our listeners to take away from this is that we all have blind spots. And if your inner workings aren't open to somebody who's trusted, smart, like knows how to do this stuff, 
that some of those inner workings being exposed to somebody to shine a light on it, to make sure you don't have interior stinking thinking, or I'll even say stinking operating systems, behaviors, and things that you do without even really thinking about it, you run the risk of sailing your ship at night by yourself. Mm -hmm. But that that brings us to what people think about, because who would you normally do that stuff with? Possibly a friend. Mm -hmm. But the literature shows us, this is so odd to me, what I saw. Most people want from friendship, like ego boosts and affirmation. Mm. They don't want challenging and confrontation and they don't actually seek out that iron sharpens iron except maybe in the lightest of of things Mm -hmm. i mean that's not surprising to me it's perhaps unfortunate uh i i think we you know as we discussed when we were prepping this episode i don't think anyone i think a lot of people probably don't want to go to friends necessarily all the time just to get challenged on stuff like it's got to be a balance. Like that would be a quite a chore if every single time, every single interaction with your friend was uh, that friend pointing out what you're doing wrong and how they think you're you should improve yourself. Yeah, this is uh, Doctor David Schnark. I like this paradigm, and he works in like marriage therapy primarily. As he talks about like a growth cycle, and then I think he calls it a rest cycle. You, can, it's miserable to stay in the growth cycle at all times mm-hmm. right like our our ego our poor ego needs a break come on man just tell me i'm good at one thing would you but i think it is healthy to take those times and those periods in your life to go through those growth cycles of getting deep down inside about maybe how you think about things have some people challenge your beliefs or go out into the literature or philosophy. I mean, there's so many great interviews, podcasts and stuff. Now we're world experts. You can put how you think about the world up against some of the best minds and how they think about those things. So I I think that's important for like you as an individual, Mm -hmm. because every individual should develop and learn rather than, and I think we've seen this with friends before, they keep crashing into the same problem because mm-hmm. they have some kind of cycle that they do. And you're like, man, life's going to keep foisting you this same problem until your behavior changes so you can break through right. to something else. Well, and so I think another whole topic here is how might one go about discovering who they really are? Like, that's a <laughs> that's a huge question. And perhaps I think there's probably a variety of paths and a variety of different ways in which you can fully more uncover how you're thinking about things. Part of it is perhaps talking with trusted friends. Some of it could be uh, reading and being exposed to other ideas. I think another one that we haven't touched on here, though, is the desert island, actually. I think distraction-free solitude probably can help you think quite a bit when you don't have the opportunity. And I'm thinking about a trip that I'm going to go on where I'm not going to have any access to technology for about a week. And I'm really looking forward to it. My guess is that there's going to be quite a bit of time just for silent thinking. And during that silent thinking, that can be a wonderful way to, or an opportunity if I take advantage of it. So you got to take advantage of those opportunities, but to think perhaps about your life, thinking about your motivations, thinking about what you're doing with your time, how you're prioritizing different things around you, and a whole host of other types of important questions. Now, I'm not religious anymore, but one thing I really enjoyed reading during my deployment to Afghanistan was the Desert Fathers. These were people who were saints in the church that had gone out specifically into the desert and finding solitude to do a lot of prayer and reflection. And I, I think there's a lot of benefit to that kind of thing. But to cap off this focus on this, what is authenticity? What is the self? Like, you've, can you be authentic if you don't really know yourself? And if your self is evolving and changing, is authenticity really just a momentary snapshot? <laughs> Right. So that like this is about as what did they say? This is a, uh, about as clear as mud, <laughs> and firm as as firm as quicksand. Right. 
but I think we have a realm, a scope to talk about. Yeah. Well, I think I think one thing we haven't talked about, though, we talked about kind of, you know, how it seems like it's important to know yourself, but maybe there's some downfalls, some pitfalls even of trying to be authentic with other people. And this is starting to get into where we're moving next. Like, how does this really play out in groups with other people and organizations? Like, okay, I figured out who I am. And therefore, what does that mean for how I interact with the world around us? So why don't we talk, we can, let's move into talking more about how this plays out in groups and organizations. And in so doing, perhaps highlight some of these benefits and pitfalls of uh, authentic behavior, authentic displays of behavior, and uh, and try to unpack this a little bit further because it is super complicated. Right. If you're by yourself, you probably don't care about authenticity so much because there's not a whole lot making you curtail your behavior. But the minute we get into groups, all of the psychology of group norms, shaming, embarrassment, gosh, there's infinite studies, it seems, on this kind of dynamic on how uh, the presence of another individual a group of individuals or an organization or a societal systems starts to impact the behavior of that individual. And, and it's not I, like you mentioned some negative things like shaming and so forth, but I, that doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Some of that shaming could be shaming behavior that needs to not happen. <laughs> and uh, we, we find these different ways in group in, in healthy groups and in healthy organizations to create and reinforce norms that are are good norms that we want to perpetuate. Yeah, standing in line. Hey, buddy, no cutting in line. I've been waiting <laughs> here for four hours, right? There's So yes, there's a lot of positive thing. But a lot of those, like, authentically, I just want to go to the front of this line right now. <laughs> well, authentically, this whole group of people is going to kick your keister, and you're not going to get to the front of that line. There is a way in which we change how we present ourselves to people. And this is required for society to function. Mm. Like it would be whatever that movie is where they kill everybody. You can do whatever you want for one night and nobody wants to live in that society. But then when people talk about authentic leadership, nobody wants to say, yeah, we're going to go with the minimum viable authenticity right. leadership. Like that doesn't get people pumped well, and up. So this is where we get into the, perhaps the risks, the potential pitfalls, and just, I think, things that you need to be, if you're going into the whole idea of, I'm going to figure out who I am, what I care about, how I want to present myself to the world, and then that's what I'm going to do in social situations, I think it's important to keep in mind what what that might look like. And so, for example, if you authentically really don't like the people you work with, does that mean that the next time you go into work, you should tell them all that you don't like them? I mean, what's that scene in Star Wars? He doesn't like you. I'm sorry. I don't like you either. You just watch yourself. We're wanted men. I have the death sentence on 12 systems. I'll be careful. You'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that can change norms. Listen, I'm not liking working with you guys, but that would have to be pretty extreme, right? And, and there's this idea of pro-social behaviors, Ben. What are pro-social behaviors? I mean, those are the, the behaviors that we, most people, <laughs> exhibit to build up the group. And ones that uh, are, these are oftentimes akin to things like, um, uh, that we call organizational citizenship behaviors within inside an organization, or uh, sometimes we call it contextual performance. But these are, these would be things like helping each other out, volunteering for things. It could be what we call boosterism, where you're talking good about the group or the organization outside of that group, being an advocate. Uh, those types of um, behaviors uh, can be and are really essential for a healthy team and organization. They're ones that are you know not. Uh, oftentimes not spelled out <laughs> in a job description, uh, but we do expect them and we want them and we need them for groups and organizations to function. Uh, so if, you know, I guess the question is, if I am authentically predisposed to not want to do any of these pro-social behaviors, 
Does that mean that I should just not do them? You know, we see this, this kind of heuristics baked into how people raise their children. Hey, Billy, if you can't say anything nice, don't say mm. it at all. Now, that's not necessarily true, but that's a good start for a kid with not a very well-developed theocortex with, like, restraint. Mm -hmm. But as adults, like, we can choose some of these moments. But this is the realm of navigating the individual as a member of a larger group. And it is fraught. And a lot of that being fraught is there are scripts that we just expect, right? If you come into a McDonald's, they'll say, welcome to McDonald's. What can I make for you today? Or some version of that script. Now, what if you came into McDonald's and everybody turned around and just faced the sign and didn't mm -hmm. talk to you? you what, what's going on here? When things don't go according to script, especially common social interactions, it makes us feel uncomfortable. All right, here's another one. Somebody gets in an elevator and they walk in. You're supposed to turn around and face the door. But there's nothing wrong if somebody were to walk in and just put their nose on the back wall. I mean, if I get in the elevator, and I think we've all gotten the elevator, only one other person, and you don't even say a word to each other, but it just feels a little weird for some reason. Who knows? And you're like, is it me? Are that, is that person really putting off creepy vibes or something? We did a whole episode on being creepy. You should check it out. But if somebody gets in the elevator with me and goes, presses their nose against the back wall, I'm going to feel odd for three or four floors. Mm -hmm. I, I might feel so odd. I might be like... Hey, man, what? why are you putting your nose on the wall of the elevator? I'm dying to know to break the tension because it's so outside that script. Right. Well, and even if it's just a small script violation, right? So normally in a an elevator, like let's say you're in there by yourself, doors open, one other person gets on. Normally, because you're probably kind of standing towards the middle of the elevator, you probably move a little bit to one side. Let's say you don't move. You just stand there. And then that person has to kind of stand close to you with there being more side, more space on the other side of, of you. That would be strange as well. There's all, all of these things. And this into this landscape, I would say somewhat naive LinkedIn meme poster that's like authentic leadership or being authentic is the most important thing right. in the world. And that's because we generally like to avoid confrontation. Now, this isn't, I'm not talking about the unhealthy, like this person wouldn't speak up for themselves if somebody ate their sandwich right out of their, you know, plate at the cafeteria or something. I'm talking about um, if you got in a disagreement and a fight every moment you just didn't like something, you'd have a hard time getting through an eight hour work day in 15 hours. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> you would. And so the question here in terms of authenticity and how this plays out in groups and organizations is... Okay, another LinkedIn meme perhaps that you see once in a while is something around how the the beauty of bringing your whole self to work. And I think that that's, that's an interesting idea. I can see merits to that general idea. I can also see it as a bit naive because if your presentation and your bringing of your whole self is in some way contrary to, dramatically contrary to what's going on in that organization and or very unexpected or perhaps violates some norms of behavior and else other types of things going on in that that organization you need you need to go into that with your eyes wide open right so i mean just like kind of a silly example like if i walked into if in my military life if i walked into a um you know a meeting unshaven with my hair dyed blue because that's really what, what I wanted to do that day. Or let's say it's St. Patrick's Day and I dyed my hair green. I did that once. It's getting so real. Tell us more about your inner life, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, what, I, what I really want to do. <laughs> if I did those things, I, it would be silly for me not to expect that my bringing of that self. And I, I'm, you know, there are much more um, other great reasons to want to bring your whole self to work. I don't, I'm not minimizing it. Um, but you have to go into that eyes wide open, realizing that it may change how people react to you. It may 
change how they perceive you and your competence and your worth and how you fit in or don't within that within that group. And, you know, so I, I think it, it would be just taking that advice, bring your whole self to work, be, be completely authentic and everything. I, I think it's just it's got to be a little bit more nuanced of a, and a more thoughtful type of approach if you want to uh, if you want to make it work. Yeah. And in any of these environments, right, organizations, first, let me just say they're not like a simple you know, oh, if you just focus on cranking out more widgets, you'll get promoted. Organizations are a hot mess of different motivations, conflicts, people who can pretend. And you see some of this in like sociopaths. They can feign authenticity in a way that gets people to trust them. Con men. And, and everybody feels they're having an authentic reaction mm. uh, or interaction. But the thing is, is you cannot really, really, even if you got super real on a desert island with three of your best friends and you guys exposed as much of yourself as your heart as you could, you can't ever really know what that person is really, really thinking. So there's this degree, there's this theory of the mind to where we see certain behaviors that make us feel like that person is really showing us. But we know that conmen and stuff can play on that stuff. And in that realm, you can have somebody acting authentic, acting like the exact thing, what that organization really wants, which is a mix between productivity, social norms, and all that stuff. Meanwhile, they're making a power play to get that VP spot that you want, and they're going to like cut your legs off so you get fired two months later. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's how's authenticity working for you in the workplace, buddy? Mm. <laughs> we don't know. And another piece we want to talk about here is that most organizations reward the status quo. They do. If you're really honest about it, uh, and you, know, you think about what actually makes success, particularly in large organizations, uh, because as organizations get larger, um, they become more driven by policy. They become more driven by procedure and hierarchy, which are in some sense necessary just to deal with the scale you've got, right, in terms of that organization. But, you know, people who rock the boat, the organizational heretics, the people who don't quote unquote play nicely with the system. Uh, they oftentimes get rejected like a foreign body out of that organization, and uh, it's unfortunate because oftentimes, or I would I don't know, sometimes those people may have really great ideas, all right, and they need those types of things to to change. So, how does organization organizational change even possible when you're rejecting all the people who? want to change. That's that's an interesting conundrum as well. And uh, it kind of goes back, you know, to this idea that organizations attract people who they, you know, who are who are similar to the people who are already in them oftentimes. Um, you know, they uh, select them uh, in in some sort of hiring process. And then people who fit the mold, they stay, but the ones who don't, they attrite, they leave. And uh, so the status quo oftentimes is what gets rewarded, even if organizations say we like risk taking. Oh, OK. <laughs> let's see. How, let's see. Um, you know, I, so we've had Todd do it on this podcast before. Um, I love that guy. Ch go check yeah, out Todd, Todd do it. Todd's, Todd's great. We like Todd. He's great. Um, but he has this great example where he talks about how organizational change and so forth. And and he I believe he gave a bunch of his MBA students. Um, little bubbles like the the thing you stick in a bottle and blow bubbles right and he said all right well you know go go up and down the halls and blow bubbles and maybe blow some bubbles into some different classrooms and stuff and see how that goes and they and they come back and report and they're like yeah some of the other professors thought that was really weird and they didn't like it that we were blowing bubbles into their class he's like yeah that people don't like stuff that's outside the norm right i mean so if that's what you're really trying to do uh be prepared for the the organization to reject what you're trying to do. Um, so this idea of being authentic, bringing your whole self to work, doing things that are aligned with your, your innermost motivations and, and values. It, it's a, 
it's really important on one hand, and I think it's also it's important for us to consider as it relates to how we interact with each other, um, because uh, on one hand, like we like li- we talk a lot about living your values. Like I think that is really important. You need to know what is not non negotiable for you. Know what you care about, and those are the kinds of things that you're willing to uh, lose your job over. Those types of things that you're willing to not get promoted because of. Um, those types of things you're willing to be confrontational about. And then perhaps there are some things that you aren't quite as, uh, that aren't hills you're willing to die on, so to speak. Um, I think of our consulting engagements, Ben. We've had a lot of really interesting ones, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, there's a a selection bias. It's the wonderful flourishing organizations are not, we have some of them. We do. But they're not the massive amount of people that call us. Generally, they're, we're struggling. Mm-hmm. We need help. And then we come in. And I mean, I have to use some theory of the mining, just guess. I feel like that we can just teach them some technique that's going to enable no organization ch- organizational change. And they'll be better now. Mm-hmm. But if it was easy, and that's probably why software sales hey, you get this project management software, you know, and now all your projects will be run perfectly. Not dealing with the psychos. You can run a project off a of paper and a pen. If you have Excel, you're way ahead of the curve. So we will come in and, you know, a lot of firms will just say, hey, we're just going to take your money. We know you won't change. And <laughs> we're going to sit around and bill you for a few months. And then... Hey, best of luck. And afterwards as well, we gave them a good plan. They just couldn't execute. And and then the org who doesn't want to change and be like, well, we're going bankrupt in the next two months because those bad consultants. Everybody gets what they want, cash and no change. And then they just keep failing forward. Now, with the with we take a different approach where we can say, OK, well, let us tell you because we think it's malpractice to treat a patient without Mm -hmm. diagnosis. So we go in and diagnose, right? That's the first thing we do. And then we say, this is what we see is the problem here. And invariably, now lots of organizations say, hey, thanks, help us. And we're able to make a dynamic, awesome impact. But we've had more than a few look at that and go away sad because the change that they needed to implement was too much for them. Right. They they just didn't want to do it. And this this gets to this idea of leadership and management. Sure. Well, and, and at its basic level, you know, the, the theoretical distinction oftentimes made between leadership and management is that leadership is more about vision. It's more about influence. It's more about uh, man- helping an organization cope with change versus management being about making sure the organization is you know, running the trains on time, that things are being done efficiently, that we're planning, organizing, directing, and controlling the work. Uh, and um, so most, many organizations, I think, if they're rewarding the status quo, are actually rewarding good management, which, by the way, good management is absolutely needed. It's in critical, un, you know, there's a lack of it in a lot of organizations. Um, but just don't confuse that with with what actual leadership is. Uh, which oftentimes is something that ruffles feathers. And, you know, this idea of authenticity is is part of that. Um, you know, I think there's oftentimes a, a, as you go through kind of your leadership journey, I think oftentimes what you will find is that when, in those moments when you are being truly authentic about, um, with good reasons about what you're trying to do and why, that can be a very powerful leadership technique when you close that gap, you know, between what you're what you're all about and what you're actually doing. Uh, there's a book, um, I believe it's called The Heart of Change, uh, Roger Quinn's book, um, where he talks about or no, his, this is the uh, Building the Bridge as You Walk Upon It, I believe is the name of that book. Um, and he talks about how, you know, we all walk around with some degree of hypocrisy where we ha- we say we care about certain things and we don't actually it's that's not evident if you truly examine what you're doing 
And part of life and leadership is and make doing that journey is about closing that hypocrisy gap so that you're actually more truly aligned with what you're trying to do. And I think, you know, this becomes easier, perhaps, as you become more senior in organizations as well, um, because it's. Yeah, you can get fired and you have six months of cash sitting around. Right. Or and just the very fact that it's probably harder to get fired as you get, you know, those types of, of things. Um, so I, I've anyway. But leadership here, if you've got to take it, this company has always done it and gone this way. And we're now going to have to go this way. Like you may have to fire a lot of people that won't get on board with right. that vision, you know. And you may have, like, nobody may like you. You know, people may retire early. You may have a lot of turnover because you start inspecting. It's like, what does this apartment even do? You guys just play on Facebook all day. We got to fire you all because we're about to go bankrupt. You know, you start making all those decisions and you're the punk of the year. Nobody likes you. They, they want you gone. And eventually you can change that stuff around if you have a strong enough remit and all that stuff. And so everything that would make you feel uncomfortable, this is like blowing bubbles in the hall times a thousand. Mm-hmm. And that is your bread and butter. What did I have for breakfast this morning? A giant spoonful of nobody likes me. <laughs> and, and a lot of people have a hard time walking in that space. Now, the Navy's doing some interesting are, stuff in this space. We are. So back in, I believe it was early 2021, uh, the Chief of Naval Operations had this call to action that he termed, get real, get better. And the whole idea is that we have to increase the honesty about our evaluation of performance, both at the individual level and for our groups, groups teams, and organizations, um, and say, how are we really doing? What types of things need to change? And having having that transparency about what what's really going on, and then uh, using problem solving techniques and data driven ways to actually move the needle on those items by and get better from them. So it really prioritizes this idea of of honesty and it, one could say authenticity about how people see what's going on in their in their various parts of the Navy. And one interesting thing I think we talked about is like, you know, that all sounds really. Yeah. Say, say the slogan again. Yeah. Get real, get better. Right. It sounds really good. I I mean, I, and I, I like the idea. It it has a lot of merit. It sounds scary to me, Ben. (laughs) When you said it, I said, I get why people would be like, yeah, I'm going to charge the hill with that one. But because right, you and I've been under the hood and all these organization is getting real. Is this going to be a license for toxic leaders to beat their subordinates up in an abusive way and be like, hey, man, I'm just getting real. okay? no, and it's not right. So there's there's certainly that's not the intent. No, it's not. Well, what I what what I think what I say is probably a another concern or another challenge with any organization that would be trying to uh, get real and get better in that way would be to make sure that you're you're not um, ostracizing people who are getting real, you know, because especially for an organization, perhaps that isn't as and people who maybe aren't as accustomed to communicating in a way that is, quote unquote, real or, you know, speaking truth to power, so to speak, and and telling telling the boss that something is that maybe he or she isn't doing something right, or that we need to change what we're doing, um, that that oftentimes doesn't come out right the first time you say it, and it takes takes some grace to make it work well. Uh, I think it takes very strong core values, and you know I think that's something that that does help us. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's it, I think it's a great idea that that requires some um some committed delicate execution yeah all right so let's let's take this we've navigated the world of the self and authenticity now we've kind of explored the landscape of how the self interacts with groups you know and that that kind of friction that kind of rub as it were let's talk about implications for all of us as individuals and for leaders and for organizations Sure. So, I mean, I think the first thing is that for all of us, I, I think 
there is a benefit to having a very solid sense of self. Just from the very sense of knowing, for example, what you're good at and what you're not, (laughs) knowing what you know and what you don't know can give you confidence, can give you some humble confidence about how you want to proceed with things. That can be very powerful. And I think that's a lifelong journey for, for most people um, to, because we always, we, we are changing, evolving people as we go through age and we, as we go through life. Um, so I think there's a lot of, a lot of value there, you know, um, now at the, at the same time, there are people I think who go through life in a way that's, you know, where they don't examine their lives at all. Yeah. And, 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 you know, they may, they spend all day doing fun things. And they seem to be having a good time. I I don't know if if they aren't. <laughs> I just know that I would not if I were not if I were examining who I was and really trying to do better in all this stuff. Yeah, one of the things that you learn from marriage and family therapy that goes actually actually from family therapy systems and this guy named Bowen or Bowen I forget how you say his name is this idea that you have to validate yourself. And we and working with coaching people, you know, a lot of times they want to get with somebody that will help validate and puff them up. Hey, man, you're awesome. Hey, you're doing a good job. Hey, I like you. Hey, I'll never not be your friend. None of those things are necessarily true. Nobody can promise the future. And at the end of the day, you can't read their mind. They could all be lying to you. So at the end. To find your sense of self, you're left with yourself. You've got to, if you can't trust yourself, you need to figure out how you can be trustworthy to yourself. And you're going to have to make those decisions on your own. And I've seen this from, I'm not going to say this as a junior talent versus senior talent issue. I see people going through their lives being, behaving in a way of, hey, am I okay? Ben, am I okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Harry, or am I okay? And everything they're doing is approval seeking. To where I've even had an executive tell me that their recruiter later said, we look for the executives that have the need for approval because we know that they'll sell out their family and everything to do what this organization needs. Oh my gosh. Barf. Oh, But do you see what can happen? You can literally become a high paid indentured servant to an organization because you didn't get your sense of self right. Now, now let's say you do find those people as an individual, those two or three people that will speak in your life, that you'll show your guts to. Maybe it's a priest. Maybe it's a therapist. Maybe it's like an experienced friend or mentor that you've had in your life for a long time. You can't just become a mimic of them. Part of developing a serious sense of self is to be able to be influenced by others And you should make sure those people of influence are worth their salt, you know. But also, you stake out your own values within and against the landscape of people that are around you. That's how it's you, your individuality. Now, I'm not all into, oh, the individual over anything else. But at the end of the day, you are captain of your own ship. You've got to decide what kind of person you are, what you're going to believe. And if you shortchange yourself, well, you're probably going to have a bit of a shortchanged life. But that sense of self, before you can even start to talk about how to turn up that knob of authenticity or turn it down situationally and that kind of stuff, it has to be built on a solid sense of self. And only you can do that. And it's a journey worth taking. Gosh darn it. Get on it. (laughs) (laughs) that's right so i think those are some big implications for us as as individuals and we'll talk about next what you know what this means for leaders and organizations but first i want to mention to our leaders out there and others everyone who is listening to this podcast go to elevatingwhatworks.com uh because that's our, our new sub stack it's our blog and newsletter lots of great stuff there and that's where we're posting all prior episodes of the Indigo podcast. So elevatingwhatworks.com. Go there and subscribe, please. Uh, we'd really appreciate it. And I think you'll find it really valuable. So let's turn our attention now to what uh, what are some implications of this whole idea of authenticity for, for leaders? And I, I suppose one place to start is, let's say you do have that really solid sense of self. 
I think that and knowing your values, I think that can be a huge source of strength, as I've mentioned before, for you as a leader. Um, being able to know, it, it helps you make decisions faster and, and easier in certain situations. If you come across something that vi- violates your values, it's like, nope, I, that's not what we do here. That's not how, I will not compromise on that. Um, and I also think that when you're authentic, and this maybe from the sense of being confident in what you know and what you don't know, what you what you are able to do well and maybe not so able to do well, and you express that to a team, that can increase uh, their connection with you, their understanding of you, and it gives them an opportunity perhaps to know how they can plug in and support you as a leader, support the team overall. I see a lot of executives that I coach, they're very uncomfortable with a junior person saying, hey, I I think that's a really wrong way to do it. What? You're just supposed to tell me my ideas are awesome and execute. And then I also see people that do know that, hey, that's that junior guy had a horrible idea. And all they say is like, noted, drive on with the original instruction. And people that have leaders that have a solid sense of self can be influenced all over the place. Mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds like a way better idea. Tell me more about that. Because because then it's because it's it's not a strike to their their core ego. It doesn't destroy their sense of health, right? Exactly, exactly. That and and that's that's one of the things. Like you know, people get nervous. What are consultants looking at? I'm looking at how a leader takes feedback. Are they like <gasps> scandalized? Are they like, huh? Tell me more about that. I'd have to think about that. So every organization talks about why can't we get more creativity. Why won't the you know good ideas bubble up? Well, if you have a culture where leaders are scared of influence or saying, hey, actually, this guy that's on my team, he's going to be a better manager than I ever will be. How do we get him promoted somewhere? You don't see a lot of that because people have a problem with that piece. Mm-hmm. Or uh, another phrase I heard, somebody said to this guy, hey, Frank's really good. He's like, I know. I hired him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) he was like yeah he was so awesome i gave him a job so that's a problem if you have a junior people that are trying to think about stuff now some of them are just going to hate everything and that's it you got to go through a disciplinary kind of conversation you can't hate and trash on everything but if somebody says hey why aren't we doing it this way that can key you in and be like oh man these guys don't know why we can't do it they can't think and fire on all cylinders and help this organization solution and get better if they don't know the landscape. All right, team, we're going to have an hour and we're just going to talk about what our strategy and mission is and what the landscape, our competitive environment, the challenges, the stuff, you know, hey, listen, Frank and IT, he's the boss's son. We'll never fire him. So we're just going to have to go with suboptimal software executions. But anything else we can change. And then people can start making those kind of decisions in a good way. But when you have that threatened sense of self, you miss that whole wealth of opportunity and input. Mm -hmm. And you don't like it when yourself, you have a good idea. You'd like to go to a boss and say, hey, boss, I have this great idea. And and you want him to listen. And they might be like, man, you're so awesome. You need to run that whole division. We need to split off the company and you're the guy to run it because you have the vision. That's what we dream about in capitalism and all that stuff. The best ideas when, well, you as a leader can be a part of that by having a solid sense of self and curating that open, honest, hey, you want to be authentic? Like You can start some of that authenticity by really having a place and an environment where the best ideas win. So what might be some implications for an organization? I think you've already kind of touched on some of these, but one of them, I think when we're talking about organizational culture and climate, if we're talking about things like, hey, we really want people to to point out what's going well and what's not going well, well, then you need to make sure that you're creating an environment in which that actually happens and that people can be authentic without retribution and that it's not something where people are are abusing that type of call to action. I think talking about authenticity, you know, we don't have a real lens for this. We just talked about how this is as solid as quicksand and as clear as mud. Yep. So we got to have some grace. We need a culture. uh, We need to create a culture of psychological safety and grace for well-intentioned screw-ups. 
Like if somebody goes, boss, I think that's the worst idea ever. Now you might be like, gosh, really? The worst idea? (laughs) Right? If you have a, a solid sense of self, right? And you need to teach your leadership the idea of like, oh, really? Tell me about that. And then later you can be like, man, maybe you don't want to lead off with, that was the worst idea I've ever seen in my life. How do you drive to work yeah. every day? You know, maybe you want to start with that. Hey, I think that's pretty good. What do you all, right? You can start modeling that better way to interject and how to be authentic in a better way that actually helps the organization, helps the culture that you're in. And you got to, you got to talk about it. You got to, what do we always say? You got to reward those behaviors. Hey, when you have a VP, hey, man, I was really impressed how you're teaching your team to come up with better ideas and have those conversations. So how would you answer? Maybe this is be kind of how we wrap things up. How how would you come back to our original question and, and answer this for somebody? Let's say somebody comes up to you, Chris, and says, hey, you know, I listened to this podcast and I, you know, I really dig all the stuff you're saying. I just want to know how real should I be at work and like in my life? I, you know. I don't know. I feel like it could almost be like a best-selling uh, book, New York Times best-selling book title, like the three levels of authenticity. <laughs> so you can always be authentic to yourself at every single time, Yeah. right? Even people, that's why we like Viktor Frankl. They, the, the Nazis conquered everything, but his inner world and his inner spirit. And thank goodness I am not in that kind of situation, but that's what made his book so powerful yeah. Our mastery of ourselves, going on that authentic journey ourselves. You can always do that. You can always be that no matter what. If you get fired or you have a jerk boss, nobody can steal. And that's a source of your strength. The, the second layer is like the authenticity in the workplace. And that's something you got to recognize that you're on an authentic journey and the people around you are also on their own authentic journeys. And they may have more or less self-awareness. They may, you know, be smarter or less smart. They may have to work so many jobs and they don't have time to think about anything because they've got like, they may have a terminal illness in their family. And so you need to be authentic, but recognize their authenticity as an individual person at their own place and journey. You don't, Go tell a kid, you're ridiculous for believing in Santa Claus. What kind of evidence-based operating system are you executing in your four-year-old life? You just wouldn't, because that four-year-old's not at that place. And so I think, you know, be that authentic as like a level one. And with others, realizing where they're at and how much authenticity can they take that helps you make something better together. And, you know, I want to say in this polarized environment, I think a lot of people have a hard time with leaving the light on for each other and realizing that somebody may, you know, you may have a political view, a religious view, where this company should go view, but that other person on the other side has their whole world and life that's created who they are at that moment. And so throwing people away, I don't think that's, at least that wouldn't meet my authentic values. And having that kind of space where you can focus on those things, I think is a good level two. Respecting that the people around you are different people in different places and how much authenticity is helpful to your journey and their journey. And the, the final one, the level three is like society, your organization writ large, is cultivate those norms that allow more authenticity, you know, psychological safety to where it's like, hey, I'm not going to punch you in the face if you are, hey, I want you to be authentic with me, guys. And when they are, you need to be like, ooh, that hurts, rather than get out, you're fired. If you want authenticity and you think it's good, and I think it's good if you dial the right, you know, salt's amazing. But when there's too much salt in something, it's impalatable. And so I'd use authenticity like salt, And if you want more of it, if you're a heavy salt person, make norms that allow more authenticity and a way for us to stay together rather than flying apart. So today on the Indigo podcast, we've talked about how real you should be at work and beyond. We've talked about the benefits and potential pitfalls of authenticity, how authenticity plays out in groups and organizations and some implications for all of us, 
for leaders and for organizations. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.